0: Okay, so the fact that we do have an obligation to give to God has been shown here in Scripture. Now, the, what's the rule for tithing? You may have been chastised maybe in the past if you don't give 10% of your gross income. That is not a Catholic doctrine. Tithing is not given by the Catholic Church in a certain amount. That's Old Testament. That is Judeo or Jewish tradition in the Old Testament. We are not Jewish. Christ has fulfilled many things, dietary ritual laws. Do you have to tithe? Yes, but you can tithe your time, treasure, or talent. It is not just about 10% of your gross income. Now, if you can, God bless you. That's wonderful. But time, treasure, and talent offer you a wide range. It may be much more giving from the heart if you donate your time or your efforts. It's kind of like when I see doctors who are giving of their time to take care of the homeless or the poor or inner city. That's tithing. Now, if you can give 10%, that's great. But the Catholic Church says you're not under the penalty of sin if you're trying to struggle to put food on the table for your family and you're living literally paycheck to paycheck and you can barely make ends meet. Now, it's a little different if a lot of that money is going to video games or things like that. But that's the church teaching. Now, the fact is, though, we do have an obligation to give back. Because what God gives us, we're just stewards. We don't own any of this. None of this is what's been given to us is technically ours. We've been given it as stewards. Remember the passage in the Bible that he gives to this guy one talent, to this guy five talents, to this guy ten talents. What did you do with them? So anyway, we have to support God's work, either again in time, treasure, or talent. Donate your time. Donate your money. Donate your skills and abilities. Your accountant, maybe you can help your parish balance the books, however it is. Now, the temple, Jesus talks here about the temple tax. Why was there, what was going on in the temple? Okay, they would sacrifice a year-old lamb, so they had to get a lamb. Those weren't free. Wine, that wasn't free. Incense was burned. Priestly garments were worn. And back in the Old Testament, it was always the finest garments. There was none of this, don't give God the best. There was always give God the first fruits. And so the garments that were worn were worth a, quote, king's ransom. That's what the Bible tells us. And so when people criticize the Catholic Church for having beautiful churches, it's give God your best. So when you have this obligation to support the church and ministry of God, the beautiful thing is you have the right to choose where. You don't like this particular function of the church. God bless you, you support another part of it. It doesn't have to necessarily be a particular diocese or bishop, especially if they're not on the right track. But you could support God's ministry in some way. God bless all of our Marian helpers who enable us. Like It was funny. I got one of the comments the other day online and, and the comments said, Father, does it cost any money to, for you to send your seminarian to seminary? <laughs> Man, as the guy who does the fundraising for the seminarians, I can tell you, yes, it costs us over $40,000 for one seminarian for one year. And so, Where do we do that? How do we get that? It just just doesn't magically appear on trees. I can't call the Dominican house and say, why don't you let us send our guys there for free? That's why when some of our seminarians, and sometimes they have to learn, they come here and they're like, well, I can't believe that we're asking for donations. Well, you want to go to seminary? Yeah. You want to eat tonight? Yeah. We need donations. So, But that's not the primary focus. So when I get up here in homilies, when I do Saturday talks, when I do Thursday videos, you don't hear me put that as priority. That is not priority. But God puts it on your heart when it's time is right to support the ministry. And what's most important isn't even the financial. It's your prayers. That's what's most important. And so our prayers back to you as well. So now, all this costs money. And that's why they had to pay a temple tax. For the garments and the lambs and the, uh, the, the workings of the temple. But not everyone paid. What did Jesus mean by foreigners or the sons of kings? All right. The sons of kings didn't pay. They never paid to upkeep the kingdom. They weren't subjects. They weren't, they were sons, not subjects. Jesus didn't technically have to pay the temple taxes, the son, because the temple was God's house. And he was the son of the father. So Jesus technically didn't have to pay it. The the father doesn't charge the son. Unless you're my dad. (laughs) When I had my business in North Carolina, 9-11 hit. And man, we had a ton. I mean, all of a sudden, my whole life savings, I was petrified was going down the tubes because we went, I poured my whole life savings into it. One month before 9-11, 9-11 hits and everything came screeching to a halt. So... I had to borrow from my father. I was like, Dad, I I mean, I'm gonna lose everything here. Can I borrow some money? So, anyway, I was starting to back up my head thinking, well, maybe dad will say, Well, you know, son, you can keep the money. Um, You know, most dads help their sons. And so my dad said, Okay, he'll lend you the money. And so then it came time to pay back. I'm like, Okay, well, you know, Dad, sometimes the fathers kind of waive that debt. And, and, and so, no, not only did the debt not get waived, my dad charged me 8% interest. And so, being charged 8% interest, I was like, man, I'm really not. <laughs> I'm really the subject here. And so, this is what God, in teaching us through Jesus, he technically didn't have to pay. He was a son. But, this is what's interesting. Jesus paid it to set a good example This is the key. The worst sin by far is setting a bad example. Scandal, leading others to sin. This is why our bishops, oh, pray for them. Because the worst thing that we can have, like, I'm sorry, it blows my mind, but these dioceses now saying that the church shouldn't ask for religious exemptions from the vaccine? Seriously? I'm baffled when I hear that. We should be every right to ask for exemptions on our religious conscience. If your conscience tells you that something is wrong, Thomas Aquinas teaches that you are obligated to follow your conscience, even when it is in error, as long as you are totally informing your conscience by church teaching. And if you have church teaching and your conscience that says, I object to this, I can't do this, we should never be told that we can't do that. Never. We should be allowed to do that. So I'm baffled sometimes, but we go on. So we need to set good examples. Pray for our bishops to set good examples. So we must do our duty and beyond to show others a good example, to meet our obligations. Now, duties of a citizen must be accepted. We have to do our duties as a citizen unless they are sinful. If they are sinful, then we do not do them. This is Catholic, but our duties, like for instance, I I catch myself confessing all the time, rolling stop signs. There's a stop sign up here by the fire station that has two stop signs in a row, and nobody stops at the first stop sign. They all go through the first stop sign and stop at the second one. I keep thinking, are you confessing that we have duties we must follow, but when they become sinful or unethical, we don't. So Jesus, too, followed the good example, all right? Jesus basically is saying, let's pay our just, lawful debt. He's telling this to Peter. Jesus was basically saying, Peter, go fish. Why did he tell Peter to go fish? Ah, back to your job, Peter. That's the way you're going to pay your debt. Earn a good, honest living. This time and place of this entitlement in our world and our society is killing us. When the first immigrants came over here, I keep thinking my great grandfather came over here from Croatia, didn't even speak English. But the first thing he did was teach his family English. First thing he did was learn English. Then what he wanted to do was contribute to society. He didn't ask for a free handout. He contributed and worked in the coal mines in, in Minnesota. Back-breaking labor. Those were men. Those were true workers. And in fact, so much so, he had to give his life for it. Because he was standing up for the the, the workers there that were dying and, and the conditions were so horrible. And Oliver Mining Company murdered him on his front porch. Because he was standing up doing his duty. There was no such thing as entitlements and handouts and the government owes me a living. There was none of that. And so what he did is what Jesus is telling Peter to do. Go to your job. Peter, you're a fisherman. Take a hook. Go fish. Do your job and pay your debts. Wow, how revolutionary. How unbelievable. I hope the politicians are listening. Because what's going on? Peter's basically being told by Jesus, a day of fishing, which is your vocation, will produce all you need. Go do it. He was not telling Peter literally to get a coin out of the fish's mouth, some believe, but I want to talk about that in a minute. Some believe, some theologians, that he wasn't literally telling Peter to get a coin out of a fish's mouth. He was telling him that in a day's work, he would get what he needed to pay his way. Okay, I like that. But there are others who claim Jesus did do a miracle and provided by the means of God. And that an actual coin did show up in that fish's mouth. You know, Jewish stories said that God blessed pious people by leading them to find uh, things in fish's mouths. Treasures, pearls, gold. The Jewish tradition was God blessed people and they would find blessings inside these fish's mouth. So if Peter knew of this, it would mean that Jesus was blessing him. Jesus is now blessing Peter. You know, there's a fish in the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been there to the Holy Land, I was there one time. And it has a very big mouth. (laughs) Not a big mouth bass, but a big mouth. And people call it St. Peter's fish. It's actually very tasty. And so the irony here is, there is kind of an irony because the king's children can pay tax because the king gives them the money to do so. So in essence, the king's son can pay the tax because the king gave him the money. And this is what's going on here with Jesus. Jesus can take care of his people who choose to walk with him. So in either event, there's a lesson for us here. There's two examples of how theologians view this story. Now, one, both of them involve doing your part. One, Fulfill your civic duty, fulfill your job, earn an honest day's living. One of the main obligations of an employer is to pay a fair wage. So that's the first example. Fulfill your civic duty, earn an honest living. That's what he was telling Peter to go and fish. Or some think it was a miracle. Walk close to Jesus, he will bless you in miraculous ways. That's a second example. But in both ways, God will provide. So I want to finish by saying an example of somebody who did both of those was Edith Stein. St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. She's an amazing, I don't have much time here to talk about her. I'll have to skip all this, but she did both. You know, she wasn't even Catholic. She was born a Polish Jew in 1891 on the day of Yom Kippur. You know what's interesting about that? What is Yom Kippur? The day of atonement to the Jews. What's a day of atonement to the Jews? The Day of Atonement was the one day of the year where the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled blood on the mercy seat and received forgiveness of complete sin and punishment on one day of the year for all the people. It was called Yom Kippur. That's the day Edith Stein was born. And it was a Jewish feast, the main Jewish feast. Now, all Jewish feasts have been fulfilled. Passover has been fulfilled by Easter. The giving of the law has been fulfilled by Pentecost, the giving of the Spirit. But what fulfilled Yom Kippur? What feast fulfills the biggest of all Jewish feasts? The day of atonement, the one day of the year where the priest receives forgiveness of all sins and punishment on behalf of the people. Divine Mercy Sunday. It's the fulfillment of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. This is how the Jews are going to be brought back to Christ. Because it fulfills their biggest feast, divine mercy. Uh, so, So anyway, real quick, she converted to Catholicism and was baptized and entered a Carmelite convent. All right, she took the religious name. Her name was Edith Stein, but she took Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And then, to, this is ironic, to keep her safe, they sent her to Holland. Well, what happens shortly afterwards? The Nazis came. And so her sisters, once the Nazis started coming, her sisters in the convent recounted how she would quietly train herself for life in a concentration camp by enduring cold and hunger. And you know, our brothers, some of us have had this conversation. This is why, in addition to my doctor yelling at me to exercise, I keep feeling this need. And I, I Brother Mark, I've been trying to, with Brother Mark, I say, keep me motivated, keep me going. I got to get to the gym like it, late at night after I, my day because there may come a time where priests end up in these kind of camps again. And the, and the priest should be physically and mentally able. To, to, to persevere and lead the people. And so after the Nazi invasion of the Netherlands in May 1940, this happened. The Nazis came to Holland and arrested her and sent her with her sister Rose to Auschwitz. There she died in a gas chamber in 1942. She was 51 years old. And she was interesting when John Paul II... Um, beatified her, he beatified her in Cologne, Germany. So here in the same land of the Nazis, and I want to read this last little quote here because this is what he said. I think it's amazing. Out of the unspeakable human suffering caused by the Nazis in Western Europe in the 1930s and 1940s, they're blossomed in the same place because she was beatified in Germany. The Beautiful Life of Dedication, Consecration, Prayer, Fasting, and Penance of Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. Later, she was canonized in 1998. But I think in this time of persecution, of what we will be persecuted for, for the faith, and don't think it's out of the realm, if you would have asked a a German in late 1920s, that what was about to happen to them when the Nazis took power, they all would have laughed at you. So don't think it's out beyond the realm of possibility that that persecution, which is already starting, isn't going to get worse. We need saints like St. Saint Teresa Benedict of the Cross to be our shining examples, our perseverance to help us to see what it's like to maintain following Christ in the midst Of those types of persecutions she was a virgin and a martyr and so what an example we have today to help let's pray to her to help us through persecutions as christians right now we're being persecuted because we're not wearing masks we're being persecuted because we're not getting a vaccine i personally have chosen not to get the vaccine i personally chosen will not get it that should be my right that should be my conscience but I'm going to be persecuted for it. They tell me I won't be able to travel soon. They tell me that I won't be able to go shopping soon, that I won't be able to go out to dinner soon. All right. I shouldn't just wave over and say, it's okay. I should be able to stand up and say, no, that's my right. And in the United States of America, let's not let that right be taken. This is what is so important. And what an example in St. Benedict of the Cross. Beautiful saint that we need today. I think that's one of the reasons she's a modern saint, just from a few decades ago. So God bless you, and let us remain, as Peter did, faithful to Christ.
1: Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy